This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Known and Ever podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week is regular panellist, James Bird. James, good evening. How are you? I'm good, thanks you, Bromley. Yes, I'm very, very well, thank you. So, just you and me this week, and we have to talk about an absolutely outstanding victory at home to Swansea. Claret's knocked up a 2-0 win at Turf Moor after the international break, which was very pleasing to see, I think, because we don't usually do that well I don't think so anyway maybe this is just perceived but I always feel like we don't really get back into the groove straight away after international breaks and I think I was particularly concerned this week about the impact of the internationals and especially on our Irish players as well who'd who'd obviously missed out on a World Cup spot and indeed would as well with New Zealand had missed out and Vokes with Wales so we've got some international disappointment in our ranks but we needn't have worried James what a fantastic win yeah, no, it was a fantastic game. And I think, uh, you know, a lot was said in the build-up about the Irish players coming back and, um, you know, the disappointment they had midweek. But uh, they, you know, clearly managed to put it behind them and uh, I think they all had a, you know, a pretty decent game. Um, as far as Wood goes, obviously, missed out on the side and after the game, Dash said it was solely down to the logistics of the, the travel he'd done. Um, so it was, I think that was quite interesting because, you would have thought maybe New Zealand's chances of making it to the finals weren't great. So I imagine it's a bit of a extra bitterness for, for Wood to have missed out on uh, playing this weekend when he, he played so little part in the, the game anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's quite good, actually. So one of the places that I wanted to start this week because we, we found out when the team sheet was announced that Wood hadn't made it into the squad. And, and Deitch said in his, his post-match interview that that was his call and his call entirely. And he felt that the amount of travelling that Wood had done and, he, you know, he's just coming back from a knock anyway, that it just wasn't ideal preparation at all for a Premier League game. And I think he's right with that. Um, we maybe discussed this on last year's podcast about the effect of the Canada internationals on um, young Scott Arfield because with him being with um, Canada and Wood with New Zealand, they are having to rack up a lot of air miles. Do you think that... Do you have any concerns, James, that that could impact us with would be in our perceived main striker that this is going to maybe impact us if he has to go away with New Zealand a lot. It could, it could a little. Obviously, he was a big money signing, um, our record signing. 
And I think you want to have that sort of player available every game if you can. Um, but the logistics of playing for New Zealand do, do make it rather tough. Um, obviously, now that they, they've not made the World Cup, they should be it should, it should be easier, uh, I, I guess. I don't know what friendlies, if any, they have coming up. But, um, you know, it might be the case that maybe he wants to skip the friendlies. You know, when there's club football that means something to, to count on. And obviously, playing for your country always has some sort of... Um, you know, pride for most players, but you know he's got a job to do at the turf, and I think he'd be bitterly disappointed to to miss out on too many games through playing, you know, meaningless friendlies that might involve a lot of travel. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Scott Arfield because I thought last season that that I think there was the one or two games when just after he got in the Canada squad, I think he, you know, got dropped out of the side um, coming back, and it's understandable. Obviously, Canada's a not a short trip either. Um, it's not quite as bad as South America. But, you know, you're still going across time zones depending on, you know, where they play. And I mean, Vancouver's eight hours behind here. So that's a that's a big swing to, to do twice in a week. Um, and I, I almost wonder sometimes where it factors into these national teams picking the players in the first place because it is a big impact um, on the player. You know, a lot of travel. Is he even going to be at his best for the international sides? Is that, you know, partly why I would didn't see much action at the uh, in the Peru game? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think somebody told me on the turf on Saturday that the the game that New Zealand played is actually the furthest that you ever have to travel with international football. And I think he went across something like 18 hours worth of time zones, which has got to have a massive impact on your body. And, and James, I, I agree with you. I, I'd, I'd be very concerned if Wood has to then start jetting across the world in the next couple of years to start playing meaningless friendlies. But then, of course... The, the flip side of that is that national teams do expect their squad to be available for friendlies because that's their only opportunity to build a squad and prepare a squad for the next championship, whenever that may be. So it, it's a really, really difficult balance. And I'm, I'm not sure there's one that's an answer to it. I think, unfortunately, we, we, we must have taken that risk and Deitch must have calculated it when he bought Wood, knowing that he was going to potentially have to do World Cup duty or um, other qualifiers or friendlies um, at the other side of the world. Um, staying onward then and I'm going to come on to Ashley Barnes in, in a moment anyway I was um, it was a little bit of tongue in cheek was the tweet that I put out on Twitter this week was um, as soon as Wood was dropped um, because of the internationals I do tend to worry about our backup about whether we have enough in the tank in the squad sorry um, to be able to create some goals in that team when we have our main striker missing um, it was Barnes that got the nod over uh, Volks, um, which surprised me a little bit just purely because I tend to feel that maybe Volks plays a little better and is more suited to a 4-5-1 than maybe Barnes is. Um, but Barnes, gosh, I, he had, in my opinion, one of the best games I've seen him in a Burnley shirt. I thought he was fantastic. Um, and I did, like I say, I put a bit of a tongue-in-cheek tweet out on, on Twitter before the game saying that we still really needed a striker in January, um, which prompted me to uh, await Barnes's hat-trick. So, what did you think? I mean, do you would you have picked Vokes over Barnes? You know, what did you think when the team sheet first came out? I was very surprised to see uh, Barnes get the nod ahead of Vokes. I thought, you know, having scored the the winner at Southampton against his boyhood team, um, the form he was in, I thought he would have been picked. Um, however, I think at the end of the day, Barnes sort of justified his selection. I'd seen a lot of doubts about whether he was the right choice on Twitter. Um, yeah, I think I was but, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> That that goes a goal was a it was a hell of a goal to score. It was a yeah, it was. you know a real great finish and it it didn't show that he hadn't scored in a little while. I think um, 
at one point. My, my, my dad said in his commentary, uh, you know, Barnes is in need of a goal. And, uh, you know, I think he was coming in. He, he'd not scored in a little while. Um, he has scored Premier League goals before. We know he's he's got that ability, but there'd been rumours about him leaving after after Grade left. Um, so I think it was key for him to, to take an opportunity and, you know, score a goal because I don't think he's really looked like uh, challenging too many keepers so far yeah. this season. And, well, I think that that's the that's the con- that's the criticism of Barnes, isn't it? Is that he never really looks like he's got a lot of goals in him, and I do wonder whether he's ruthless enough in front of goal. But yeah, as you say, it proved us wrong, didn't he? Yeah, I mean he's more of a rugged type as well, and I think sometimes people can get a little bit frustrated that he he seems to concede a lot of free kicks, um, and you know when the game's just started and the game's still open, it's still there for the taking. I mean, it frustrates people a little bit when they, they see so many, you know, moves breaking down because he's conceded a free kick. Whereas when he comes on later in the game and he's sort of holding it up, I think people appreciate, you know, that sort of play a little bit more later on. Yeah, and I, we had a bit of a chat before the game as well about whether or not Barnes was more of an impact player or whether Fawkes was an impact player. And, and they seem to divide opinion, these two. If we look back to the Southampton game last week, uh, sorry, before the international break, they both made a massive impact. But I do wonder whether that was maybe due to a formation change as well in that, you know, Burnley were not looking like they were going to do anything until those two came on and they made a hugely positive impact on the game. Um, I've always seen Vokes as more of an impact player than maybe Barnes, but then... At the same time, Barnes does incredibly well when he comes on for that last 10 minutes and just slows the game down, interrupts it, stops the floor, gets a few free kicks and things. But I think the most pleasing thing for me on Saturday was that that what we call the, the Ashley Barnes specialisms were not part of his game at all. He actually played really flowing football and he really held the ball very, very well. I thought some of his passing and some of his headers that he won um, were very, very, very good. And I think there was a... There was a discipline to his game on Saturday that I think we've not always seen. And I do wonder whether this is something that Deitch is working on with him. He wasn't as chaotic. And I don't mean that in a horrible sense. I love Ashley Barnes. I've got a lot of time for him. Um, But we do know that Ashley Barnes is all arms and legs flailing and he jumps up everywhere and he's clumsy. He's a clumsy player. He's not a a technically slick player, is he? And and that's not what he's, he's about. And he doesn't claim to be anything like that. But I did see elements of that in his game on Saturday. I thought he was very slick in his passing. I thought he was very intelligent with the ball and he seemed to be very, very calm, um, which I was very, very impressed with. Um, So with that in mind, do you think, James, that we still need a striker in January? All right, bearing in mind, and somebody made a very good point about this on Twitter in that there's not massive amount of point having six or seven strikers when at the moment we're only playing with one up front. My argument against that would be that it should be quality rather than quantity. But bearing all that in mind, what we've talked about, Woods is internationals, Barnes, Forks, obviously Naki Wells is coming back fit as well. Do you think we need cover up front in January or are you happy? I'd, I'd say I'm happy. I, you know, the point about playing one up front is is a big point. Um, you can't go, uh, you know, bring in big, you know, top players in uh, and expect them to, to sit on the bench. Um, you know, we've got Wood, we've got Vaux, we've got Barnes. Um, there's only space for one of them in the, in the starting lineup, And I'd say there's only space for two of them on the bench anyway. So if you bring another guy in, it's it's one of those three who's going to miss out on a place in the squad. Um, and I think it'd be very difficult to, to do that. You know, Vaux has done a lot for us. Um, Wood 
scored some goals this season. He looks good, record signing. Um, you know, Barnes, I think, would be the one who'd end up missing out. So I think if we were to sign someone, it, it'd be the, at the expense of Barnes, either uh, leaving on loan or leaving permanently. Yeah, it feels harsh, doesn't it, thinking like that. It feels that the loyalty that Dyche will show to his side feels, I don't know, it, it just, it, I agree with you in some respects. I just worry that if we, at the point we go behind, if we go 1 0 down, I tend to worry about us being able to score two to get three points. It feels like if we concede first, the best we can hope for from the game is a 1 1 draw and try and push it. It never looks to me like we've got more than one or two goals in the, in the game. And now, the way Deitch is set up to play, we probably don't need more than that. In the, in, you know, we're winning a lot of games 1 0. Um, and that's absolutely fine. I, I just. I don't know. It, it, I think. I think what worries me is that if we're going to continue playing one up front in the second half of the season, when we start facing sides who have maybe got more to play for, so you know, as, as bigger teams have got the championship push and the European places push, when teams come to us who are desperately trying to avoid relegation. If we do end up conceding goals, we could find that we've got no plan B. I think that's what worries me. Um, whether or not another striker to that is an answer, I don't know. We've still got to see the impact of Naki Wells. So I think in that sense, we've got to give Dyche time to uh, bring him in. Um, but otherwise, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I think, like I say, um, at the moment uh, with, with Barnes being in the form that he is and, and obviously Volk's desperately trying to, to win his place back, then I guess competition's good. So moving away from um, Ashley Barnes and, and the goal, I think we take a step back actually and, and have a look at not just the performance itself, but the first goal. And that capped off an absolutely fantastic two weeks for our midfield hero, Jack Cork, who we're all big fans of at Known and Ever. We have been since his first loan signing with us and especially now as a permanent striker. So permanent striker, permanent signing. I am now creating imaginary strikers to cover my perceived need for striker by turning midfielders into imaginary strikers. <laughs> That's obviously not the case. And Jack Cook, our sublime hero midfielder. Now, Jack was called up to the England squad for the internationals after a couple of first choices did pull out of the squad, which is fantastic recognition for how well Jack Cork has played. And again, he managed to get a cap. Um, he was brought on Gareth Southgate, brought him on for five minutes. And, and he was, I think, a 27th senior England um, international at Burnley, which is, is fantastic news. And, you know, that excitement of those two weeks and that whirlwind of his England cap didn't seem to hamper his performance at all. If, if anything, it made it, it even better. Um I think Paul Clement did the absolute ridiculously naive thing before the game and was asked whether or not he had any regrets selling Jack Cork to Burnley. And his answer was, of course, no, no regrets at all, to which Jack Cork quite happily put the ball in the back of his net. Um, James, I thought I thought Jack Cork was was amazing. And I think especially that goal. I mean, just talk us through your your I guess your analysis of that goal that started with a Nick Pope um clearance a goal kick didn't touch one Swansea player um, and it was a move that was started by Jack Cork and ended by Jack Cork how did you see it it was a really good move um, you know I love the way uh, Jack took the ball down you know sidestepped his man he, he showed that uh, composure that we all know he's got um, that we see quite often in games and then you know it, what he does to um, 
find find Barnes in a great position, uh, and then almost slip in unnoticed uh, to be ready for the cross. I thought it was fantastic, and uh, you know it was a really good header to finish it off. And I think I saw on Twitter that um, he scored six goals in total now for Birmingham, five of them boom of his head, uh, which is quite quite impressive. Um, one that particularly sticks out for me is uh, that one at Preston uh, in, in his lone spell here uh, with us that you know was so key and uh, it was a, a big moment. And I think that was a you know one of those moments that really endeared people to to Cork as well. So it was a real shame when he he, he didn't stay with us, but boy, he's back and I think I've said it on every podcast now, watching him and Defoe in the middle is just sublime and I think Saturday was maybe his best best game of the season uh, and maybe partly was to show his former manager what he was missing, you know. Yeah, it, definitely. It's not often teams sell their, their vice captain uh, from the season before um, and especially not often they then say, you know, they, they, didn't re- they didn't regret it in any way having seen the way they're performing now. But, um, I think he he showed what they're missing, and they were missing definitely <laughs> at least a player like Jack yeah. Cork, and they were probably missing well a good few defenders as well because the way we cut through them yeah. at times was frightening Their for them. Awful. They looked like a championship side, didn't they? I thought. I thought they they looked defeatist. They didn't look to have any quality. I actually thought whilst they didn't have that quality in midfield that we have with Defoe and Cork, I didn't think they did too badly in midfield. But they looked to have nothing up front, and their defence was all over the place. Yeah, I thought they, they didn't look an awful side uh, in the, you know, the the, the middle. Uh, the midfield look okay. Um, I won't say they look yeah. sensational, they look okay. Uh, but they've got some good strikers in the squad and the, the fact they didn't look very good going forward, I think, um, is more reflective of the, the confidence level I think they've got there. For me, I thought looking at Clement on the, the bench, his body language looked pretty pretty poor really for it looks manager. like he's gone doesn't he uh, like he's waiting to be sacked in it? fact someone at work said to me today oh we see another premier league manager's been sacked uh and he said guess and i was like clement because i clement, I, I thought it yeah. could be him uh, but it was tony poulos and um yeah, yeah i just think they, they look like a, like a poor team defensively they looked awful and i think fabianski um was really all that protected them from, from the game being a bit more embarrassing He's still a good keeper, he is, isn't he? I, I thought, I actually thought up until the point we scored, I thought he had a really good game. And I think, he, like you say, he kept them in it and he made some really important saves. Yeah, I think as well, it's a little bit disappointing that Swansea uh, looked as bad as he did because it, it, it almost um, devalues just how good we played. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, for me, uh, I've got to put this one out there. I thought Jeff Hendrick had his best game of the season. Yeah, um, I did too. It was a real complete performance. It was everything I think we've missed from him. Um, he's in a lot of games looked a little bit in and out, a little bit invisible, yeah. almost like he doesn't know what his his role is. But I thought he got on the ball lots on uh, Saturday, uh, looked really sharp, you know, looked threatening, and I, I think there was opportunities there, and he was unlucky maybe not to come away with a goal at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I think I, I'm struggling to to name anybody in that squad who who had a poor game actually. And I think towards towards the um, the dying minutes of the game, we were all struggling to to find a man of the match. To be honest, because I, I think there was so many players in that squad who had an argument to be picked for it. Um, just moving on, I think slightly away from that midfield battle. Um, t- you, you've just picked up on it there, actually, and I just want to come back to that point you made about devaluing Burnley's performance. Do you do you think that the likes of some of the teams we've played this season that have been really poor are really poor, 
Or are we just not yet giving Burnley credit for evolving into a much better side than what we think we are? I'm seeing a lot of hesitancy in the national media. I've just had, um, and this is quite topical, but I've just been listening to Monday Night Football and some of the comments that Jamie Carragher was coming out with were just appallingly lazy journalism. And I'm, I'm seeing a real reluctance from national media to actually give Burnley credit for them evolving. And at some point, we've got to stop being labelled as overachievers and just actually being credited for improving. It's really frustrating me that people seem to not allow us, sorry, they're not allowing themselves to actually acknowledge that Burnley might be getting better. You know, you don't stay stagnant every single season. At some point, a team that keeps improving has to start evolving into a decent Premier League side. Are we, you know, are we there yet or are we just maybe overachieving I don't know I'm not buying that I think think we are both overachieving and you know have improved as a side I think if you look at it on paper you know the amount of money we've spent yeah we're overachieving on you know against that metric Uh, but if you look at some of the players there um, you know Defoe for full international for Belgium um, you know was linked with Manchester United early in his career if it wasn't for injuries he he could have been playing at a, a really big club um, Jack Cork, obviously he came through the youth system at Chelsea. Um, he's played at Southampton. He's played at Swansea. He's been a you know Premier League regular for what four or five years now. Um, you know he came for a reasonable amount of money. Had a call up to England. Yes, it was in circumstances that you know maybe he would prefer to be first choice. But to be honest, the fact it took so long to get to picking him, I think, was um, a disgrace. To be honest, because he's been easily the best English. Uh, central midfielder in the Premier League so far this season in terms of you know performances and consistency and you know, minutes played um, and then you know you, you look at the players we've got who are internationals for Ireland yes it's not one of the fashionable countries you know, obviously not going to the World Cup but these are still players who have played at the highest level um, so while you know the, there is then you know you Brady's, I think you, you Woods, Hendrick, players who are, have maybe been more associated with top half of the championship in the career. I think when you bring those together in the right team, um, you know, there's a lot of talent there and it may not be as fancy as, you know, the, the likes of uh, the players, teams like Man City buy or, you know, some of the money Everton have spent. But is there really that, that big of a difference? Um you know, the, those players are only big names because they, they managed to make the market another club first. I think, you know, if players can make their market Burnley first, then uh, it's unfair maybe to label the team as overachievers just because the player hadn't made his name somewhere else. Um, and it, it's it's laziness, I think, really. You know, if you look at the way the, the lads are playing, uh, I think they're all at the top of the game. And we've shown mm-hmm. many times this season that we've been a match for teams that are, you know, seen as bigger sides and seen as, you know, more talented players and players that cost more money. Yeah, and um, it's it's not frightened our players. And I think, you know, you see that with the way Matt Lawton's played on a couple of occasions. I think there's been... Oh, I love Matt Lawton. Two, two players who've uh, squared up to him so far this season. He's last yeah. <laughs> Um I have been enjoying those on Twitter, actually. People saying, yeah, he's not scared of anything, is he? Very good, very good for ourselves. Which is something that, you know, I think endears him to our fans. And we've been a bit... Uh, we've we've had a bit of characters, I think, at, at right back in in recent seasons. I think both Orton and Trippy have both shown that they can uh, understand the passion of the fans. Uh, before that, I think Tyrone Mays was a character, but maybe not in the same positive way oh, as those two. Um, and in fact, for me, on on Saturday, Matt Lawton was my man of the match. I thought he was great. Um, I think he showed that the ways improved so far uh, at Burnley. 
You know, a lot of people, I think, were disappointed when we brought him in to replace Trippier. He only cost a million quid. Um, you know, he'd been at Aston Villa. He'd, he'd been a reasonably regular Premier League player, even if he'd been a little bit out of the side uh, just before signing for us. Um, but I think he's been, you know, really steady. Um, I think he's better defensively than Trippier was. Obviously, he's not quite as, as good going forward. He's he's not quite the cross that Trippier was. But I think his crossing is getting better. And uh, Yeah, it really is. Definitely. Key point to make. Um, he's brave. Uh, you know, he, he got in the way. I think there was a great sequence. I can't remember who had the the chance. We gave the ball away and uh, Lutton got back with a, a challenge. The ball, you know, came free. And a Swansea player had a shot and he got himself in the way again to, to complete yeah, a block. Did. Which I thought was yeah, just quite the, close to the line, wasn't it? Yeah, which was the kind of um, the, it was just on the edge of the area. I think he blocked it, and it it was kind of the um, you know sort of defending that we've become a bit used to with some of our players, like Ben Mee's one who likes to chuck his head in the way of stuff, um, and I think that sort of bravery is great for the side. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, apologies, listeners, for that slight um, bit of background and interruption. I'm not quite sure whether that was my cat or James's no, cat. That was but my, I think one, that was was it my yours? cat, but I'm not sure which one's <laughs> of them, but yeah. Uh, I know mine's outside the door as well. You see, this is a little insight, uh, listeners, to the to the background recording of the Non and Ever podcast. We have uh, we have cats to deal with. You know, like Sky Sports have all of the, the big <laughs> fancy things. We have cats that we have to give us background noise. Um I know, obviously, you, you just mentioned your man in the match there, James. I think mine was probably Jack Cork, to be honest, although I think, as I said before, it was a very close one. Um, I don't feel like we can leave the analysis of the Swans game without mentioning our defence one more time. Um, this might be slightly controversial, so please don't send hit me hate to Twitter before you start. But I was worried going into the game about the effect of the on the Irish lads, and I know that... Deitch actually felt the need to mention it in his pre-game interviews to say that they were a bit down in the dumps, but the lads were rallying around them and that they would be okay. One player in particular that I was very concerned about was Ward, who had um, a very, very difficult, difficult game against Belgium and was responsible, unfortunately, um, for two of their goals, doing some really um, unfortunate errors. Quite unlike Stephen Ward as well, I thought that he was very bit uncharacteristically out of sorts for the World Cup game. And I did worry about whether that would affect him coming into the Burnley game. I think he had an all right game, um, and I certainly don't think it was his best game, but there were a couple of moments where I felt he looked like he was just had his confidence knocked a little bit and he maybe wasn't as, didn't have the bravado that he normally has. I'm not suggesting for one minute he had a poor game. I'm just saying I think clearly um, it affected him a little bit more and he just wasn't quite himself on Saturday. So what the question that I pose to you then, James, is we have another left-back who is absolutely chomping at the bit to come in in Charlie Taylor, a player who Sean Dyche clearly rates very, very highly. How long do you allow Stephen Ward to recover from his Ireland disappointment? Or do you, if you're Sean Dyche, keep this back five that's performing so, so well all season and just make Charlie Taylor wait? I think it's a difficult one here because obviously, you know, we've seen a little bit of Taylor and he is, he does look really good. He looks like a, a real one for the future and someone who could, uh, could be in our side for a long time in the years to come. But, while Ward, I think, had a difficult start to the game on Saturday, he did did warm up into the game, I think. And in the end, he had a, a pretty decent performance, as we've come to expect from him. Um, I think, really, it's going to take 
either a major mistake from him or you know a couple of games in a row where he's, he's under par because I just don't think you can drop him the way he's been playing for us this season. He has been outstanding, and I think the the whole you know back unit have been. Um, personally, I think it's a bit of a stretch to say keep the five together. I think we'll keep the four together, uh, and when Heaton's one hundred percent, I think Heaton will come back into the side, even though. You know, Pope's done fantastically well. I think it's six clean sheets from nine games, which is a, a really impressive record. But um, Dash has always had that sort of policy of, you know, players don't miss out for injury. And Tom Heaton was playing some of the best football of his career as well. So it's a difficult one for him. But I, I don't think he'll, uh, he'll he'll let Tom miss out um, on, behalf, on, on account of his injury. But as far as the, yeah. the four in front of the keeper go, I think, you know, he'd, he'd be loved to to take them out unless we had a really bad performance and shit quite a lot of goals because I think you know the most goals we've conceded this season was against Man City I believe um, yeah it was and you're considering and that's many, understandable considering, <laughs> yeah. How, yeah, considering how many goals they've scored I think um, you know, <laughs> we did well we're quite, we didn't concede seven yeah quite thankful <laughs> to, to come away with only having conceded three because they've been absolutely on fire yeah. No, I, I don't disagree with you, James. It was just, I've seen quite a few people. We, we try and pick up through the week and, and start really after the game, some comments and we try and, I'm quite bad at stalking some of the, uh, some of our Twitter followers and lo- watching their conversations and seeing, you know, the views of people. And I did see quite a few people questioning whether um, Ward would be affected longer term. I personally just think it was just a case of getting back into the game on Saturday. I think, like you say, James, he was they looked a bit nervous for the first 10 minutes, but settled in. I fully expect him to be completely back to normal by the time we play Arsenal on Sunday. Um, let's, let's think about Sunday then. Obviously, we've got Arsenal coming up. And I think for the first time ever, I'm, I'm, I'm so looking forward to this game. That's not the first time ever. I'm actually looking forward to, to playing Arsenal. But for the first time ever... I'm genuinely expecting us to get a result out of that game. I don't think it's anything that we get from it will be bonus points either. So it's kind of got me thinking this week as to what our goals should be this season because we've gone from being cast iron relegation favourites pre-season, all of the the, the summer um, analysis was all very... And, and the, the bookmakers as well had us as clear favourites to go down. Nobody gave us a chance. We've, we've thrown that book out of the window now and we've obviously... 12 games in have got to start reevaluating I think exactly where we can go this season. I'm going to I'm going to be pretty bold when I say this, but at the moment if you take the snapshot of the Premier League and the games and the results that we've had so far, it genuinely looks like there is a direct battle between Burnley and Watford for 7th place. Now is that completely and utterly ridiculous or should we be aiming that high? Oh, obviously no normal, normal caveat applies it is Still relatively early Snapshot, in the season, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's you know, let's dream though, James. It's a, it's a difficult one to say, but the way we started, um, I think top ten, top eleven, that, that is really where we do need to be looking at at the moment. Um, you know, there's these teams I think around us that are going to drop off. I can't see Brighton and Huddersfield uh, maintaining the the sort of form they have. Um, I mean, Huddersfield in particular, I think have started conceding uh, quite a bit more now and uh, I think ultimately they, they might have a bit of the, the Blackpool about them from a few few years ago where they started really brightly and then ultimately sort of fell away. Um, I'd be very surprised if, if they don't you know, end up uh, looking like they're in the relegation battle in the season. But Watford have looked really good. I think they've, they've been um, a bit of a surprise package like us. Um, obviously they've spent quite a bit of money um, it's going to be interesting to see sort of how their season continues. They've, they've lost a little bit more than we have. 
Um, I think we've been better at generally holding on to to games in, in general and keeping it tight. You know, we've we've and then what we've managed to do over last season, I think, is convert some of those tight games into wins. Um, whereas last season, I think maybe at this stage, you know, while we've got six wins and four draws here, I think um, last season, if we were playing the similar way, we might have been looking at more like three wins and um, the rest as draws because that just seemed to be the way we, we tend to go. So um, that, that ability to manage to win these tight games and obviously we've won a lot of games by just one goal um, has been fantastic. And, you know, we sat at this position now, uh, mid-November, uh, four points clear of, of, of Watford in eighth. And, um, you know, we, we look reasonably comfortable. We've left one points with Liverpool and Arsenal, uh, big names with the opportunity, obviously, to, to put a gap in there on Sunday when we play Arsenal. Um, oh God, can you imagine? And, I can't believe we're talking in this vein. I really can't. But it, it's hard to rule us out. And the thing is, actually, the way we've been playing this season, it doesn't matter that it's home or away against Arsenal. We could say easily that there's the opportunity there to take the three points off them and put three, three points between us and them. Um, in fact, if anything, away from home, we'd maybe feel a bit more confident of getting something because um, our home form has been that little bit more subdued and a little bit more mixed. Um, I think... You know, we've started really well. It's going to be difficult to, to maintain this level. Um, but I think as long as a lot of pundits are writing us off and saying we're overachieving, I think that's actually going to spur the players on um, and, you know, make them want to, to prove a point and, and finish as high as they can. And I think as long as we can get a little bit of the, the rub of the green with injuries and suspensions and, and keep, you know, keep players playing, keep them in the side, um, you know, and, and not on the treatment table or... Uh, sat in the press box watching because they've they've been suspended, then um, we've got every chance of, of staying up there. And, you know, we've played a lot of the toughest games of the season already. And I think that's key to remember. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've played Chelsea away, we've played Man City away, we've played Liverpool away, um, played Tottenham away. That, that's, you know, some of the biggest sides in the league at the place that we've we've gone to and, you know, yeah, we've come out of it and we're in seventh place and we've only lost two games. And we got points from them as well. Yeah. And, and you know, there's only four teams who've uh, lost two games or less. Um, Liverpool, ourselves, Man United and Man City. So that's, um, that's yeah. pretty good company to be in. Those are big sides and sides that yeah, really have a lot is. of money, a lot of clout, a lot of history. Yeah, and I think it certainly feels like we are proving a few people wrong as well. And I I think one of the things that we were perhaps a little bit worried about was being found out this year and and teams coming to Turf more, especially, or teams, uh, you know, playing us at at their place and being able to unravel the hard work we did last season and and being found out with the style of play. But all Deitch has done is is evolved that style of play and he's he's found us a way to win that's, again, different. I think in previous seasons, before he got himself experienced with the Premier League, we'd be maybe a little bit critical about some naivety tactically from Deitch. And I just think he's he's got it now. I think he's just found the last two seasons a way to win that counteracts everybody else's style of play and, and he's one step ahead of everybody. You know, he doesn't play the way that people expect him to play this season. He's he's doing something differently, he's evolving these players and he's evolving this squad. Um, I, you mentioned top 10 there, James. I think if we finish 10th or above, I would be absolutely euphoric. I think that is way higher than any of us expected to. I think a lot of where we finish will maybe depend on some of the bigger teams down the bottom. So your likes of Southampton and West Ham, for example, getting themselves out of this downward spiral that they're in. Um, 
if they manage to be by a new manager or just by a, a renewed form um manage to get themselves further up the table then obviously that might impact on where we finish but at the moment i just think just keep just keep playing i think Dutch will tell these players just to keep playing another game another game you know sundays another game i think for the first time we heard Dyche say on Saturday that he was going to allow himself an hour to just look at the table and just enjoy it before he starts thinking about Arsenal. And that's nice because we don't usually hear him say those things very often. So it brings me, I guess, onto the final topic that I wanted to talk about tonight. And that is is sticking quite handily on Dyche, which is quite good for the link, I guess. Um, we're still not out of the woods, I don't think, yet um, as to whether or not Dyche will be with Burnley for the rest of the season or indeed to the end of the, the January transfer window. The Everton rumours still seem to be doing the rounds, even though to date, as recording this podcast, which is Monday night, there has been no approach at all whatsoever from Everton to Burnley and Dyche does not appear to be on their shortlist at all. They've approached several players and made it quite public that they that DeSilva's their man. So we think that Deitch is not in the frame for the Everton job. The reason why I don't think we're out of the woods yet for Everton is that um, I do worry. This is such Burnley fan log- logic, so I'm going to apologise for it. But I do worry that if they can't get anybody, they're going to end up coming to Deitch by default because there's nobody else left. And I still am not 100% convinced that Deitch will say no. Every single bit of me wants to say to him, if Deitch, if he come in for you now, when they've asked six, seven, eight managers before you and you're clearly the last choice, just tell them where to go because you, you don't want that. You, you want to have the ego boost of being the, the first choice. Allardyce himself has ruled himself out of the job because he felt that he wasn't high up enough in their rankings. Now, he obviously has the luxury of being a retired manager and he doesn't necessarily need the work. Dutch is, is obviously very young and is still an upcoming manager. But I just I do worry that if if Watford sorry if Everton don't get their um, manager sorted soon we we might not be out of the woods yet. So there's Everton to worry about. Obviously West Brom have sacked Pulis today. Um, I can't see Dyche going to West Brom. To be honest, I think he doesn't really fit what they want to do. And in fact, it is not even being mentioned for it. He's not in the bookmakers odds at the moment. So that's reassuring. Um, it's not yet happened, but as James mentioned earlier, I fully expect that Clement will be gone soon. Um, again, I don't think I need to worry about Deitch going to Swansea. Um, and then the only other thing that we need to be concerned about, oh, actually Southampton's one that I am a little bit worried about. Southampton aren't playing very well at the moment and Southampton fans are turning on their manager quite hastily. Um, and then the only other one that I think we'll worry about if De Silva goes to Everton and there's a Watford manager vacant. The only two that I'm worried about from those, James, is... Everton and Southampton. Do you agree or are you absolutely adamant now that we're going to get him to stay for the rest of the season? What do you think? Well, firstly, I'm just going to comment on the, the Watford one. I think after his previous experience there. I think he'd, Yeah, he's never going he'd, there. He'd, yeah, he'd, no. he'd it's the back. same owners, um, isn't it? Supposed as much as he, he liked the club, I think he, yeah, he, he's just going to go back. Yeah, no way. Um, Everton, I, I can't see him. can't see him taking it. I think, um, you know, when you've got someone like Phil Neville uh, speaking on Match of the Day saying he, he doesn't understand why Sean Dyche should leave at the moment, you know, obviously Phil Neville was involved uh, at, at Everton for quite a while after leaving Man United. Um, you know, if anyone was going to come on TV and sort of pump Sean's tyres to say you should take this job, it, it'd be someone like him. Um, and he didn't. And I think, you know, Sean had been mad 
absolutely mad to to go to Everton. Uh, you know, they're looking for a quick fix. They spent a lot of money. He's not going to be given time. Um, and I believe uh, there was a Burnley fan on BBC Six or Six this weekend who who sort of said exactly what I've been saying. I think over the last couple of weeks while we've talked about this, and uh, that was that you know Schroeder should come to Burnley. He's built over the five years. Uh, you know, he's reaping the rewards of that, that patience. Um, and that when Dash first came, the first four months, I think, you know, he, he wasn't a fan favourite at that point. Um, but the board knew what he was looking to do long term. They, they gave him the time. He had a summer to, to put his own stamp on the side. Um, and we came back the next season, a fantastic team. Um, I think Dash is likely to move on at some point in the future. You know, there's going to be a big job out there for him. He's been doing really well for us. Uh, do I think he thinks he's taken us as far as he can? No. Um, maybe there's a case for that at the end of this season. If if we finish in the top 10, maybe he thinks it's going to be too too difficult to, to break the top six, which is, you know, really the next step after after top 10. And, you know... You, <laughs> I can't believe we're talking in this vein. This is brilliant. <laughs> and and you, as a Burnley fan, you probably won't necessarily blame him for having that logic. Um, you know, it would be a big ask with, you know, the budget constraints we've got. And maybe at that point, if he went to a team that's got more money and, um, you know, better, bigger players already in the side, you you probably won't begrudge him the, the move because he, he would be genuinely uh, making a step up. But I think, you know, Everton right now, it's not the job that he needs. It's, it's not the job that he's going to really cement his uh, reputation. Whereas I think finishing the job with us um, will do wonders for his reputation. Imagine if you finish a sixth with Burnley this season, there's going to be yeah, there's going to be bigger teams than Everton who are going to be looking at him. You know, is Mourinho going to stay at Man United forever? I don't know. There's been hints this no. season that <laughs> maybe he's, he's already sort of losing his interest there. And, if Man United came for Sean Dyche, I think he'd, he'd be a pretty good fit, uh, is my opinion. I think he'd, yeah, he'd, I do, he'd be really good at a big good. team like United. And he could be he could be the next Ferguson for them. He could be there for years if he you know he's allowed the opportunity he's been given at Burnley and, you know, the, the chance to build and the chance to run the club, which is obviously what Ferguson did. Um because that's another key thing of, of why he won't go to some of these I was going to say, that, that's what he wants, isn't it? That's what he's got at Burnley and that's what he wants to do. Yeah, he, he's, he's a traditional manager in the you know the English yeah. vein of football. He, he's not a continental coach. He's not um, like coaches are in American sports where you have a general manager who, who does all the, the dealings uh, with contracts and players and this, that, the other. Um, he's someone who's hands-on in everything. He's hands-on in what they do with you know building work at the training ground. His hands-on with stuff they do at the actual ground. Um, he's he's as big a part of the club as anyone, um, and that's from mm-hmm. every, that's at every level. Um, and I, I I just don't think that some of these teams are giving that. Um, so I, I really can't see moving. So what, what do you think of Southampton? Do you think Southampton would be a draw? Would no, be a pull? No, I, I can't see. I don't it. think they come in for him actually. To be honest, but I can't see it. You no, know, they are this season. I just can't see any of these teams being a draw for him in in the season if. Yeah. And this is obviously a huge if, but if, you know, a Klopp or a Wenger or a Mourinho or a Guardiola or a Conte left in the season, then maybe you're talking teams that might be able to attract him away. But also you're probably talking teams who have been looking at a big, big name European manager rather than a, yeah, a manager definitely. like Sean Dyche. But I, I, for me, I think it would take a team of that sort of uh, magnitude um at, at this present moment, the way we're playing to to take him away, because yeah. I hope you're right. He, uh, I've got yeah. to say, I, he'd be absolutely mad. I think to to leave Burnley in seventh place and, and 
I, I just, I'm not convinced yet, though, James, that he doesn't think that. I think I agree with you to everything apart from it feels like Everton's the one job that would lure him away. And I'm just not yet convinced that if Everton come in for him, he won't take it. I think I don't think he'll be concerned with him not being first choice. I don't think he'll be concerned about how long it's taken and how, you know, it might be perceived that he's the last cho- last choice out there. I think he'll take the, I feel like Deitch would take the attitude of, well, I'll prove to you that I might not have been the first choice, but I'm the right choice. And I'm I'm just not yet convinced that he's he's not going to take it. So let's hope that he doesn't. Um, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced yet. Um, very one, one last very quick point then on, on the Deitch one, because I know we did cover it in detail last week anyway. Jamie Carragher on Monday Night Football tonight suggested that Burnley are just a long ball side and that Sean Deitch has been labelled with that direct style of football, which means that he is not going to get offered the big jobs because um, some of the bigger teams, including Everton, do not want that style of football do you think that's A, correct, or B, fair? No, I'm both. I think there's a, a major problem here. And, and the <laughs> fact that we even see it from people like Jamie Carragher, who's supposed to be a, a paid-for pundit, is frankly abysmal. There's a, a distinct difference to me between direct football and long-ball football. Um, there is. Direct football is the, the ability to play more than one way. Um you know, we can pass short when we want to. Yes, we're not going to play the sort of football that Manchester City play. Um, but direct football isn't a case of knocking up in the air and, you know, go route one. It, it's a case of you, you don't do stuff that's unnecessary. You don't do stuff that doesn't add value to the game. It's it's a lean style of football. It's, you know, your defender gets it. He plays it to his midfielder. The midfielder sees someone going down the wing, plays it to him. You get the ball in the box. That's direct football. But at the same time, there's passing involved in that. You know, even if it's that most direct sort of thing of defence, midfield, you know, winger or fullback, striker, you're still talking, you know, one, two, three, four passes. And and that's not a case of what's typically seen as long ball and what to me is long ball, which is, you know, keeper out of his hands, knocks it up. One of the strikers nods it down for the other one. And you know you're in the box, and I think to to call him a long ball manager is just being incredibly simplistic, and it's it's not, it's not looking yeah, at the full picture, it's not looking at the fact well, that he he's adaptable. It, I think is what he really is. Yeah, he said it as well right after. I mean, I, I was outraged, and I ended up putting something on Twitter about it. He he said it just after he admitted. He said, "Look," he said, "I haven't I, I haven't watched Burnley this season. I don't watch Burnley," and then went into this long rant about how they play and and the style of play and what what that's doing to Sean Dyche's chances of getting a big job. And I just think it feels at the moment, like I said earlier on in the podcast, there's a hesitancy from some of the national pundits to give Burnley praise, like you say, James, for adapting to a style of play. And we've heard Dyche talk about mixing it up in a different, yeah, sometimes we have to be direct. Sometimes we have to be long ball. Sometimes we'll get it on the deck and we'll play it. And I think that's the evolution of this team this season is that they're doing bits of all three. Might not do it as well as the top teams. They might not need to do it every single week, but they're doing it when they need to and they're getting the results and it's it's just starting to irritate me. Um, So that's where we are. Um, That is our analysis of the Swansea game. We don't have... um, anything else to to add to to that game we've covered it but if you do have any comments on what we've talked about or you've got anything else that you want us to cover then do drop us a quick line on twitter um james you have some books to tell us about don't you before we leave this week i do indeed so i've got a a copy of tim quelsh's um 
from Orient to the Emirates uh, to, to review. Uh, I'm still working on reading through that to, to, to give my opinions on it. And we may even uh, have a chat with Tim about it. As I, I've got his number from his, his publisher, so we may have a chat with him about any questions I've got after I've finished the book. Um, but both him and Dave Thomas currently have books out. So as I said, that's uh, from Orient to the Emirates. Um, Dave Thomas has got Mud, Sweat and Shears out. These are both by Pitch Publishing, um, and they've got a couple of signing events coming up. Um, the first one's at Turf Moor on the 30th of November at the uh, Superstore. Uh, it's going to be between 6 and 8 p.m., uh, and there's going to be a couple of former players there to, to add their names to the books as well. And that's going to be Frank Casper, Paul Fletcher, Colin Waldron, and, and Jim Thompson. So um, if you're particularly you know, uh, of that era and uh, remember those players playing at the Turf, that might be one you want to go along and get those names in the book. Uh, and the second event is going to be at WH Smith in uh, the Birmingham Centre. That will be on the 13th of December between 4 and 6. And Steve Kinden, Michael Doherty are definitely going to be there uh, and Chris Pace possibly. But um, we, we'll mention that again nearer the time. Uh, and again, that's for the same two books. So, you know, if you remember seeing those players at the turf and you fancy getting their autograph in, in a copy of a book, then that's a, a great way to do it. Um Another key thing about Tim's book is that he's written it to raise funds for Prostate Cancer UK. Um, he's done this to recognise the, the efforts of the club and by Barry Kilby to help combat the disease. Um, as many of you know who listened to us last season, I rode down to Brighton, uh, sorry, Bournemouth, not Brighton. That's another long journey, but maybe, maybe not. <laughs> uh, down to Bournemouth um, with other people from the club to raise money for that and uh, I think we managed to raise over 20,000 in the end. I can't remember exactly what the number was but it was a phenomenal amount of money and that was able to put the event that was on at Turf Moor uh, recently uh, as well as the one at Rovers and there's still money left over I believe for another event so uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, so all of his proceeds are going to go to that charity and he's hoping to achieve a bumper sale at both events that could really help uh, put more money to that, that great cause. Um, and you may have seen on Twitter this week that we do have a competition for from Orient to the Emirates. Um, keep your eye on Twitter this week for what the question is. Um, you're going to have had to listen to this podcast. So good news. If you're hearing this bit, sneaky, you've sneaky. already heard the answer. <laughs> um, so keep a look out on Twitter uh, and enter that one if you're interested in getting, a, getting your hands on a free copy. Fantastic stuff. Thanks, James. Well, that is everything from us this week. We will be back next Sunday for another episode following the Burnley win against Arsenal at Turf Moor. James, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure as always for our slightly smaller intimate chat this week with just the two of us. But thanks again to our producer, Adam, who will be editing this week. But thanks especially go to you, the listeners, for downloading and listening to this episode this week. We would not be here without you and your support is always appreciated. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Non and Ever podcast. Until next time. This time last year. Hello. This podcast was recorded immediately after the capitulation of West Bromwich Albion. As such, it contains content that some listeners may find distressing. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.